fellow with an ugly, irregular, charming face. His eyes were brown and keen and secretive. His mouth had a comical twist which became sarcastic or teasing or winning as he willed. His voice was generally as soft and musical as a woman's, but some few who had seen David Baker righteously angry and heard the tones which then issued from his lips were in no hurry to have the experience repeated. He was a doctor a specialist in troubles of the throat and voice, and he was beginning to have a national reputation. He was on the staff of the Queensley Medical College, and it was whispered before long he would be called to fill an important vacancy at McGill. He had won his way to success through difficulties and drawbacks which would have daunted most men. In the year Eric was born, David Baker was an errand boy in the big department stores of Marshall and Company. Thirteen years later, he graduated with high honors from Queensley Medical College. Mr. Marshall had given him all the help which David's sturdy pride could be induced to accept, and now he insisted on sending the young man abroad for a postgraduate course in London and Germany. David Baker had eventually repaid every cent Mr. Marshall had expended on him, but never ceased to cherish a passionate gratitude to the kind and generous man and he loved that man's son with a love surpassing that of brothers. He had followed Eric's college course with keen, watchful interest. It was his wish that Eric should take up the study of law or medicine now that he was through arts, and he was greatly disappointed that Eric should have finally made up his mind to go into business with his father. "'It's a clean waste of your talents,' he grumbled as they walked home from the college." You'd win fame and distinction in law. That glib tongue of yours was meant for a lawyer, and it is sheer flying in the face of providence to devote it to commercial uses, a flat crossing of the purposes of destiny. Where is your ambition, man? In the right place, answered Eric with his ready laugh. It is not your kind, perhaps, but there is room and need for all kinds in this lusty young country of ours. Yes, I am going into the business. In the first place, it has been father's cherished desire ever since I was born, and it would hurt him pretty badly if I backed out now. He wished me to take an arts course because he believed that every man should have as liberal an education as he can afford to get. But now that I have had it, he wants me in the firm. He wouldn't oppose you if he thought you really wanted to go in for something else. Not he... "'But I don't really want to. That's the point, David, man. "'You hate a business life so much yourself "'that you can't get into your blessed noddle "'that any other man might like it. "'There are many lawyers in the world. "'Too many, perhaps, "'but there are never too many good, honest men of business, "'ready to do clean, big things "'for the betterment of humanity "'and the upbuilding of their country, "'to plan great enterprises "'and carry them through with brain and courage.' to manage and control, to aim high and strike one's aim. There, I'm waxing eloquent, so I'd better stop. But ambition, man, why, I'm full of it. It's bubbling in every pore of me. I mean to make the department store of Marshall and Company famous from ocean to ocean. Father started in life as a poor boy from a Nova Scotian farm. He has built up a business that has a provincial reputation. I mean to carry it on, in five years it shall have a maritime reputation, in ten, a Canadian. 
I want to make the firm of Marshall and Company stand for something big in the commercial interests of Canada. Isn't that as honorable an ambition as trying to make black seem white in a court of law? Or discovering some new disease with a harrowing name to torment poor creatures who might otherwise die peacefully in blissful ignorance of what ailed them? When you begin to make poor jokes, it is time to stop arguing with you, said David with a shrug of his fat shoulders. Go your own gait and dray your own weird. I'd as soon expect success in trying to storm the Citadel single-handed as in trying to turn you from any course about which you once had made up your mind. Phew, this street takes it out of a fellow. What could have possessed our ancestors to run a town up the side of a hill? I'm not so slim and active as I was on my graduation day ten years ago. By the way, but a lot of co-eds were in your class. Twenty, if I counted right. When I graduated, there were only two ladies in our class, and they were the pioneers of their sex at Queensley. They were well past their first youth, very grim and angular and serious. And they could never have been on speaking terms with a mirror in their best days. But mark you, they were excellent females. Oh, very excellent. Times have changed with a vengeance, judging from the lineup of co-eds today. There was one girl there who can't be a day over eighteen, and she looked as if she were made out of gold and rose leaves and dewdrops. The oracle speaks in poetry, laughed Eric. That was Florence Percival, who led the class in mathematics, as I'm a living man. By many she is considered the beauty of her class. I can't say that such is my opinion. I don't greatly care for that blonde babyish style of loveliness. I prefer Agnes Campion. Did you notice her, the tall, dark girl with the ropes of hair and a sort of crimson, velvety bloom on her face who took honors in philosophy? I did notice her, said David emphatically, darting a keen side glance at his friend. I noticed her most particularly and critically, for someone whispered her name behind me and coupled it with the exceedingly interesting information that Miss Campion was supposed to be the future Mrs. Eric Marshall, whereupon I stared at her with all my eyes. There is no truth in that report, said Eric in a tone of annoyance. Agnes and I are the best of friends and nothing more. I like and admire her more than any woman I know, but if the future Mrs. Eric Marshall exists in the flesh, I haven't met her yet. I haven't even started out to look for her and don't intend to for some years to come. I have something else to think of, he concluded in a tone of contempt, for which anyone might have known he would be punished sometime if Cupid were not deaf as well as blind. You'll meet the lady of the future some day, said David dryly, and in spite of your scorn I venture to predict that if fate doesn't bring her before long, you'll very soon start out to look for her. A word of advice, so son of your mother. When you go courting, take your common sense with you. Do you think I shall be likely to leave it behind? said Eric amusedly. Well, I mistrust you, said David, sagely wagging his head. The lowland scotch part of you's all right, but there's a Celtic streak in you from that little highland grandmother of yours. And when a man has that, there's never any knowing where it will break out or what dance it will lead him, especially when it comes to this lovemaking business. 
You are just as likely as not to lose your head over some little fool or shrew for the sake of her outward favor and make yourself miserable for life. When you pick a wife, please remember that I shall reserve the right to pass a candid opinion on her. Pass all the opinions you like, but it is my opinion and mine only which will matter in the long run, retorted Eric. Confound you, yes, you stubborn offshoot of a stubborn breed, growled David, looking at him affectionately. I know that, and that is why I'll never feel at ease about you until I see you married to the right sort of girl. She's not hard to find. Nine out of ten girls in this country of ours are fit for king's palaces, but the tenth always has to be reckoned with. You are as bad as clever Alice in the fairy tale who worried over the future of her unborn children, protested Eric. Clever Alice has been very unjustly laughed at, said David gravely. We doctors know that. Perhaps she overdid the worrying business a little, but she was perfectly right in principle. If people worried a little more about their unborn children, at least to the extent of providing a proper heritage physically, mentally, and morally for them, and then stopped worrying about them after they are born, this world would be a very much pleasanter place to live in and the human race would make much more progress in a generation than it has done in recorded history. Oh, if you're going to mount your dearly beloved hobby of heredity, I am not going to argue with you, David, man. But as for the matter of urging me to hasten and marry me a wife, why don't you... It was on Eric's lips to say, why don't you get married to a girl of the right sort yourself and set me a good example? But he checked himself. He knew that there was an old sorrow in David Baker's life which was not to be unduly jarred by the jests even of privileged friendship. He changed his question to, Why don't you leave this on the knees of the gods where it properly belongs? I thought you were a firm believer in predestination.